Hello, hello, here we are again, coming to you from Broadcast Team Alpha. You know, that's the show for the thinking American and the global citizen out there that is not afraid to step out of the box and start looking around to try to find out what else is there that I don't find on Channel 5. Well, there is a bunch. And we're going to talk about some of that here in the next hour. And uh, yes, uh, my name is Augie and my co-host Nori, she is busy doing something different. She has a client, so she cannot be here with us and we're going to miss her and uh, we're going to go do it anyway. So um, we are coming to you from about 40 some plus platforms all over the world because we are also transmitting through the wonderful platform of the Cosmic Awakening Network. And because of them, we are on Roku, three TV stations, and a bunch of other places. And uh, check out uh, Cosmic Awakening Network. Because they got, I think, 40 or 50 different shows on there that cover just about anything from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum of uh, what you would like to know about. So check them out. Before I introduce the guest, I want to also tell you how you can connect with us. You can find us uh, on broadcastteamalpha.com and you can send us a message through there. There's a place for that. And uh, if you are watching it on YouTube right now, then please also subscribe and click the bell because then that way you will know when the new videos come out and the new shows will be available. And you don't want to miss that. And uh, besides, YouTube is the only place where we monitor the chat room. So you can ask questions and we may be able to answer them for you. So when you ask the questions, do it all in capital letters. And that way we will see that there is a question. Makes sense. And... Uh, you can participate in the show, actually. And uh, Nori and I have created a spiritual think tank where we do amazing things. It seems like we are creating out of seemingly nothing from the quantum existence sometimes. And there is some really interesting things happening. You should come and check it out and see if maybe you want to participate in something like that. You can uh, send us an email to the mastermind connection at gmail.com and I'll send you some information and a link to come and join us on Sunday at two o'clock East Coast time and uh, East Coast USA and uh, then uh, you can participate. Now let me introduce the guest. This is going to be very special and it's going to be quite an education for most of us because he's going to talk about a lot of the things that we have heard rumors about. But here's a man that has the, he has eyeballed the facts. And his name is uh, Eric Hecker. And, uh, and uh, well, he, um, I, do you have a website also still, don't you, Eric? That, uh, yes, I do, I do Augie. 
It's um, deciphering.tv. Yeah, deciphering.tv. That's right. Go there and have a look. There's some interesting stuff. And uh, he's also covering a lot of the things that he talked about on the uh, Disclosure Project's testimony here about a month and a half ago. And there is some technologies that is being withheld from us. Some very, I would call it almost dangerous technologies now that is coming out through the uh, uh, the protection that he is, uh, you know, under the uh, Whistleblowers Act. So uh, that's why he can talk about it. We did a show before here, probably about a year and a half ago or something like that, where he did not mention about some of the real sensitive stuff, because at that time he couldn't. But now he can, because now... It is really um, opening up everywhere because he spent a year in Antarctica and he saw some of the technologies that they have and they are using for their purposes, not necessarily for ours. There are some really dark stuff happening there. That's my opinion only. And uh, what we're finding now that we can discuss these things because uh, the doors of the stable is open and the horses are coming out. So, so welcome to the show here, Eric. And let's talk about Antarctica. It is just an enigma that very few people go there. Very few people know much about what's down there. And uh, from what I hear, it's a beautiful place. And uh, how in the world do, do we want to start out a show like this? Let's talk about Antarctica in general. I get Do, I get do you it. like the place? Oh, it, it was beautiful. First and foremost, thank you very much for having me, Augie. Thank, thank you to everybody out there listening. Um, I think it's fantastic that we're actually hitting a more of a multinational crowd um that's fantastic um but on the topic of antarctica and its beauty i would have to say that the winter that i spent at south pole afforded me some of the most beautiful things that my eyes will ever bear witness to mm -hmm. but i could just simply look up and see on a clear day so to say in a clear situation during the darkness of the South Pole winter was beauty beyond words. It was just amazing to look up at yeah. the sky. Does it really get totally pitch black though? Isn't a little Absolutely. bit of Absolutely. It, 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 it does? Yes. It's it's zero percent humidity. The facility is at ninety three hundred feet of elevation. So it's high. It's dry. It's cold. The air is crisp, as crisp as air can get. Mm. And it is it is the purest of atmosphere that blocks nothing coming in from the cosmos. When you're at that elevation, you simply just have to take your gaze and raise it up a couple of degrees. And then the whole entire planet drops out of your perspective. Your whole view is just simply the stars of the sky. 
and in that area, it is just you. You see everything. You yeah. see with your eyes what telescopes see other places. Wow! And then the summer. Uh, I ha <laughs> I have to disappoint a whole bunch of people out there. Mm -hmm. The flat earthers. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah. There is 24-7, the sun goes a little bit higher, go down to the horizon and goes back up again. You have 24-hour sunlight. Mm -hmm. Talk about that a little bit. How is it? How can you sleep at night? Oh, my goodness. It's very challenging. It's, it's very bright. The summer season at the South Pole, um, being outside is not a thing of beauty. It's a thing of pain. Oh. The brightness of the sun, the reflection of it on the on the white surface, what that does to your perspective, um, it's very, very bright and very brutal on the eye. Mm. And yes, it is 24 hours of day of sun up until uh, it peaks out down there the summer season in that hemisphere is different so the uh december 21st is the you know summer solstice and when the sun would be at its highest and like you said at that point it's pretty much rotating overhead and then as you pass the solstice it just progresses outward to the horizon line and eventually dropping down below the equator and, and out of sight for the other half of the year mm. I know what that looks like because in uh, I'm from Norway originally and the northern part of the country, we have the same thing. The mm -hmm. sun never gets below the horizon. Mm -hmm. And the people uh, in the winter when they don't see the sun, mm -hmm. people up in the northern part of Norway, they turn squirrely. They, 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 mm -hmm. You need the sun to be healthy and especially mentally healthy, I think. And I've actually gone and I've worked up in Barrow, Alaska. So I've seen it on the Northern Hemisphere as well, the sun functioning the same way with the total darkness and the total light that happens in Barrow, Alaska. So mm -hmm. flat earthers do not like me because I told them, I said, don't mess, don't come at me sideways. I said, the earth is round. I went and checked. Yeah. That's that's right. <laughs> yeah, did you hear that, flat earthers? <laughs> yeah, I've been to the South Pole and I've been damn near to the North Pole and I've witnessed how the sun functions and it functions the way yeah. it would if we were a globe. And the flat earthers are either feds or idiots and people can take their pick. Yeah, I, I think though that their arguments for people that do not understand the science very deeply, the argument sounds very, very real. So it's easy to get the wrong impression of it. And the CIA, they have admitted it's one of their PSYOPs programs. But let's leave that one alone. We want to hear about the technologies that you have experienced and seen and uh, maybe even worked on or repaired. So... Uh, you spent a whole year down there and you saw some amazing things that uh, part of it came out in your testimony here about a month and a half ago in Washington mm -hmm. at the Disclosure Project. What did you, what were you able to experience and see down there? 
I guess that does bring up something that we did not discuss last time, which did come out um, recently, was um, there was a laser beam that I observed that at the time I didn't think much of it and was, you know, like lots of other projects, you know, you, you follow the conversation of what they present something as. But then, you know, upon having conversations with other people and learning that this science, when connected with this science, can you just start to find out that there's more possibilities to things. So one of the things that I was bringing up is the possibility of these um, new technologies known as chemical lasers that could be used as, you know, weapon systems, long-range communication systems. Regardless, it's new technology that we should consider might be what's be occurring. And um, this, this happened... Um, June 12th was the event that Dr. Greer put together in Washington, D.C. And shortly thereafter, my birthday shows up on the calendar. And on the day of my birthday, the National Science Foundation has a website. And they can post anything they wanted on their website. And lo and behold, on my birthday, they posted a picture of the Arrow facility at the South Pole Station firing off its green laser that I had just disclosed, you know, recently at the Greer event. And I was like, looks like I still got somebody in the program that, you know, you know, give me a little birthday present. Wow. How much more com uh, confirmation can you get than that? <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And, you know, this is wow. things and technologies that people the <clears throat> people need to consider exist and then once we realize they do exist then we can start asking well what do we think the people that possess them are doing with them yeah what what are they using this laser for yeah these, these are the questions we need to ask the responsible parties but it seems to be a revolving door at facilities like this so similar to how the Gakona Alaska HARP facility keeps changing hands and programs and financiers, you know, they say follow the money. It's interesting that most of these facilities make it very hard to track the money because they keep switching operators every time somebody starts to look in that direction. Oh, uh, yeah. That, well, that's their way of hiding it. It sure seems to be handy. Yeah. Now, I have... Uh... I read a statement, and I'm trying to think where I saw it. It was in a uh, it was in news in the news media, probably a, uh, yeah, it was a newspaper. It said the facility, the heart facility in Alaska, was closed down. And we talked before the show and just said no. <laughs> yeah, no. It's it never shuts down. There's like facilities on Long Island, they would say that about as well. Um, and it just doesn't happen. It really, it's almost like, it's almost like a way that these factions let people know like, hey, there's room in this project for other investors. <laughs> it's like, it's just yeah. letting, it's, let, it's like a way of letting other people know, um, there's, you know, the lease is up and we're open to bidding and Somebody always picks it up. These facilities never shut down. They certainly hmm. change hands regularly, but it's usually following one of these episodes of, oh, we're shutting it down and 
you know, the people that don't really care for it. So we're, and then, you know, when everybody thinks that it's shut down, all of a sudden, four to six months later, they find out, oh, no, actually, somebody did get the contract and it is still up and running. Yeah. Turns out there's never a pause. Well, they, uh, the technology of the harp is probably one that is not necessarily for civilian use, that they're using it for maybe global control because they are aiming it out to the, the troposphere and, into, and so they create a bubble. Have you studied that technology some, haven't you? I have, absolutely. And yeah. it's uh, multifaceted. Um, there's, there's conversations that can discuss how that bubble that you just mentioned can in and of itself be utilized to create a, a, a blast of air to cause tsunami-like winds to cause earthquakes theoretically to be used as over the horizon communications as a refractor. There's, there's all kinds of things that can be done in the directed energy weapons realm. And this is what people need to start becoming concerned with because when the weapon is multifaceted, you know, it's like they can, it's like having a gun where you can change the caliber of the weapon like instantaneously and then fire it differently. So every time you fire, it seems like a different weapon, but, you know, it's hard to track the assailant when they can lose your trail that rapidly. And it's just the new technologies yeah. that they have. It makes their arsenal um, that much more harder to ascertain. Mm -hmm. They can keep switching stuff. We don't know anything in their whole bag of tricks. And it's like every time they want to come at us, they can just open up their bag of tools, pull out a different thing that we have no idea what it is, and bash us with it. And we're not familiar with the action or the wound, so we don't even know we're being attacked or injured. Yeah. But they have a whole, they have a whole bag full of these tricks. Mm -hmm. And if, um, if they want to control the weather, with a system either like HARP or maybe some of the stuff that you saw in Antarctica, there is an obvious way that that can be done. Um, as a pilot, I was trained fairly well in meteorology. And let's say you have a warm front coming along. And that's, and you can put the, you can direct the energy from HARP from two different locations in front of it and stop it. Mm -hmm. So that then the warm front usually brings rain. So now you can have rain all the time behind what when they stopped it. Mm -hmm. And they can do the other way around. They could uh, accelerate something so that you have no rain like they're doing right now in my opinion in the southwest of the united states they are mm -hmm. we can see the fronts out in the pacific they come up from the south and then they stop mm -hmm. and that looks suspicious to me knowing that weather systems always move mm -hmm. why do they stop does that um, yeah. make any there's, sense there's it, it does when you consider that there's an outside force being applied somehow. 
then I just I just agree with you. It makes sense to me. It seems yeah. that there's a manipulation going on. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would add to this conversation that people can check on, you know, September 11th, when the towers came down, uh, a lot of folks don't know that there was a massive hurricane coming in from the Atlantic, bearing down straight onto Manhattan. Mm. It was zeroing in, it was moving in that direction without pause. And then all of a sudden, it stopped offshore and hung out until the whole 9-11 debacle occurred, leaving it as a crystal clear sky for the event. That sky that we saw on 9-11 for that staged event had the sky set for clear because they hung a hurricane off the coast for a while. And then when the event stopped, they actually directed it. It went the other direction. It like turned tail and ran. That doesn't happen. No. They can't. No. Systems, they move along. They, Mm. They don't stop and reverse. There was and, documentation that used to be very secreted, but now has since been declassified. Yeah. And it was a, a report yeah. that the Air Force had produced, I think it was in the late 80s or early 90s, where they were discussing that in, I think it was 2023 or 2025, that they would have total control of the weather. And they weren't discussing it as, as in how they were going to, tra- this was a report on how they were going to do it. Yeah. When it comes to harp, do you see any connection from harp, let's say Long Island, uh, Alaska, or they have also a harp system in Norway, by the way, on the West Coast? Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I know the people over there talking about it. Do you see any connection from that to what you observed in Antarctica with the, uh, uh, could this be a part of uh, Operation Deep Freeze or? Do you see any connection there? I see connections um, internationally when I see that these weapon systems are being hidden in plain sight as science facilities. And then when I see that um, we have many nations that um, conspire, let's just say, through these science programs, and they say, oh, you know, we're just going to work these programs, even, you know, during times of war or not, these will be the departments that prove that we get along great still because we're science. Well, it's like, well, it turns out when these facilities are being operated, you know, with subterfuge, and it turns out, well, they, they too have weapon systems involved, and maybe this isn't as uh, simple as it looks on the surface, that we need to look into what are these, what are these networks that operate across borders? on the back end of wartime nations. What is going on there? I mean, during, during World War II, we had members of the Bush family convicted for war crimes for trading fuel for rubber and profiteering off of both sides of the war. Yeah, nobody knows about that. Yeah, so this type of stuff happens. I mean, there are robber barons, there are profiteers, there are folks that are more than happy to take crowd A over here and crowd B over here, have them start chopping each other's heads off and just fleecing the money out of both sides for selling them the hatchets. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's uh when it uh, when it comes to harp, we know we can see in the sky when they're operating too, because have you seen that when you have a let's say a a light cloud layer, you can see ripples in the mm -hmm. sky. Have you looked into that? Absolutely. I, I believe that there are things that we can look for um, at both ends of, uh, like, let's say, a directed energy weapons transfer, an attack, whatever you want to call it. I believe that there is a high probability of seeing something on both the delivery side and the receiving side. Yeah. That there, And I don't want to try to pretend that it's, anything specific i think it could it could show up in a variety of ways because you know mother nature is very diverse and you're kind of sending this energy wave through a different spectrum of reality but it's a reality that we're still a part of so there should be something observable but it's going to vary a lot depending on what's going on when it's discharged what's going on when it's received you know there's so many variables, but I would think you would have some sort of observable phenomena. Let's visit that laser that you saw in Antarctica again. Um, what do you think its purpose is? Uh, like all these other systems, I would say uh, it's a multifaceted system that is meant to present to the public first in a, a friendly capacity that could be justified under the auspices of science and then work with the network of international folks. Second to that, there would be um, the possibility of it being some sort of communication system. It could be some sort of a weapon system. This is, you know, a matter of connecting the dots to what's possible like Occam's razor in reality um, gets utilized inappropriately on on the regular. So Occam's razor really means we have to take all possibilities and place them on the table. And then we can slice off a piece with the razor thin and assess. And if we can, if we can conclude that something absolutely isn't possible, then we can throw that out and, and keep assessing what's left on the table. But until you can negate it, you have to leave it on there as a possibility. Yeah. Well, it's kind of obvious to me that it could be a weapon system. Mm -hmm. Lasers now are coming out, uh, becoming common knowledge that they have mm -hmm. the they have a big laser in the nose of a Boeing seven forty seven, and they're using them against <clears throat> aircraft and mm -hmm. other things. And maybe in Antarctica is where maybe they developed some of these because it's so inaccessible that they have privacy doing anything they wanted to do. Totally, totally appreciate that. Yes, it makes sense. And I, I agree that it has a lot to do with just the privacy that Mother Nature affords doing work in such a remote area. I think a lot of it is a consideration too that you know, this stuff is cutting edge technology. You know, we're talking laser beams at the end of the planet. And, you know, how many people know what chemical lasers are? Because there's a high probability of, of 
things being more in that capacity. Um, additionally, the idea of superfluids is new to me. I'm, I'm trying to get educated. So there's other stuff that I've seen down there um, that I'm very suspect of what was really going on. But I have to do research and, and learn what's really going on with some of these technologies when, you know, I was presented one thing, but now I'm learning that there's these secondary and tertiary considerations that I certainly wasn't being told, you know, but now I have to look and almost, you know, educate myself on these things. And superfluids is a topic that I'm trying to engage my mind on because apparently once you chill something down cold enough, apparently it's in this whole new field of physics. Yep. So it's, you know, apparently I was in an environment where uh, superfluids were being utilized but now I have to kind of, you know, look backwards, decipher my experience and figure out what were they doing around me with the superfluids? Because this is profoundly new science and apparently they're not being forthwith. And that seems to be par for the course at the facility is that there was a lot of things being presented as, oh, this is what we're doing. But then in reality, there was a lot of, oh, but this is what we're really doing. Well, the, the systems that you observed down there, if did they tell you anything or were you able to ask questions about what it was for and what it did or anything like that? Uh, in a way, in a way, yes. And in a way, no, but I'll, I'll clarify. So um, on one particular instance, I had to look into changing a fuel pump, if I remember correctly. And that required me to shut down the electrical circuits to be able to de-energize the pump, to pull it out of service, put a new one in, rewire it, and energize the circuit. But in the process of, of tracing out this repair, the sub-panel that I had to go to and you know confirm de-energizing my equipment, the breakers um, had one in the wrong position, according to what I was told that particular breaker should have been de-energized but i was looking at it being energized so now i was concerned you know is this a mislabeled breaker is you know something on that's supposed to be off either way i was running it up my chain of command to make sure that my crew was working safely long story short i was informed that the breaker is supposed to be in the on position it is for the ELF system, which I had previously been told was off. And that to me was a big red flag that, you know, something was rotten in the state of Denmark, so to say. Yeah. So I was, um, you know, I just made a mental note right there in my head, you know, okay, check ELF system is operational. Extra low frequency. Did. Yep. And at that point, I mean, it was, you know, they were very clear that that was the extent of my line of questioning. Like, all right, you know, you've been told that the circuit that you are working on has been properly identified and you can continue with your work. And what you found, you were told is not a problem for you. So hurry up and get back to your work. I mean, that was, that was the end of that conversation. But what they couldn't do was take back what I already figured out. ELF is up and running. Check. 
Uh, this opens up for another question that you may have thought of. And I am quite sure they didn't tell you anything because this one is deeply covered. And that is ELF is used for two things that I know. One of them is deep space communication and underwater communication. What do you think of, could it be something like that? Absolutely. I believe that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's doing at least those two items. And again, we, the people need to comprehend that there's even more. I feel like it's like one of those infomercials, like, but wait, there's more. Yeah. Like this, is, this is what directed energy weapons are all about is they're, they're very efficient and they can be kind of like networked as well to do different things. Did they have any facilities that was absolutely top secret and you couldn't get in to save your life uh, down there that were absolutely kept from you? No. Again, this is it's a it's a false pretense that people have that they believe that when something's really top secret that there's just more markings, more danger flags, more red lights, more barbed wire. No, it's the opposite. The more secret something is, the less labeled it is, the more benign it looks, the more the public can walk right in the front door with you. Wow. Well, I wouldn't want to try that at Area 51, though. But Understood. <laughs> but there's other, there's other places that you've walked into in your neighborhood that are top secret facilities and you yeah. didn't even know it because it's that in your face. But the people that know, know. And it is probably labeled in such a way that uh, it looks perfectly all right. Looks it like probably it. says like the law offices of Berkeley and more. Yeah. It probably says something very vague. It probably just, you know, is a place where you would never question. Of course, people walk in and out of there. It would just be, you know, right under everybody's noses this is where compartmentalization is the most powerful tool for secrecy a need to know basis an overseer of all who knows what's going on that just coordinates that you know no cog in the machine will get so big before it gets divided into smaller cogs and then all of these cogs these compartments have no clue what's going on in the big picture typically Mm -hmm. It's a very effective means to squish an understanding of a bigger picture. Yeah. So what you're saying actually is that the facility where you were, it wasn't classified. It was Correct. just they restrict the information going in and out by the people that they trust to come and work there. They, they do this to us in, in our regular waking lives as well. This is what they do in offices. This is They're already doing this. We were just getting it in a very micro-observable environment. Mm -hmm. It became very in-your-face. Yeah. So then uh, there is many uses for these things of uh, nefarious reasons. I suppose, but... Absolutely. I mean, for starters, we have the capacity for them to generate earthquakes, to manipulate the weather, 
I mean, these are these are very powerful weapons, powerful multifaceted weapons. Um, there's a lot to be said for being able to just simply deliver energy. When we consider that that delivery of energy at one location, if it's a fault line, well, then it can generate an earthquake. If we deliver that energy to somewhere else where it's on, on the verge of being a storm, if that storm wouldn't have occurred naturally, but if we can apply some energy that, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back, that snaps a storm into play, well, if that storm then does the intended damage, you know, I mean, then that right there is a weapon as well. Mm -hmm. uh, here's a... Uh... I have a question that maybe the UFO enthusiasts would like to hear the answer to. Mm -hmm. There is, uh, let me back up just a second. In 1989, I think it was, there was the Kalahari Desert crash. And that is when <clears throat> there was a, a UFO entered the atmosphere over the South Pole region, went straight north towards South Africa, and they caught it on radar. When the, when it left the Antarctic continent, they saw it on radar, and they followed it. Tried to contact, didn't work. So they sent two um, jets up, and they shot it down, and it crashed in the Kalahari Desert. And there was one comment in the report on that that came out of the South African Air Force. It said that. An entry point for many of the unexplained phenomena is over the Antarctic region. So it seems like it could be a corridor or some safe place for them to come in and then they skim along the surface to where they're going. Have you heard or did you see anything of the UFO phenomena? in Antarctica. I I did see UFO phenomena, um, but what you're saying right now is actually blowing my mind because I've never heard this story that you just mentioned, oh. but I have, I have absolutely, um, in plenty of other conversations, as public as this type of a conversation, I mean, I've discussed this before um, many times, is that I have suggested that the South Pole of this planet is a, a point that's easier for vehicles to enter or exit our electromagnetic dynamo field that surrounds this planet, whatever yeah. you want to call it, the magnetism of the planet, the flux of the planet. Um, I believe that entering and exiting from the Southern Pole is advantageous for whatever reason we've yet to define but we just do it. Second to that, I've suggested that because of that truth is a large part why the South Pole Station exists and is like a um, air traffic control tower for UFO activity on the planet, which is you know also being thrown at the feet of the ice cube neutrino detector for yeah. being able to observe neutrinos which apparently are jettisoned off of these um, craft that are powered by, you know, more exotic powertrains. Yeah. 
Well, then there's another theory. Um, and by the way, for the people out there hearing this, <clears throat> go ahead and Google or use another platform. Um, the Kalahari Desert Crash. And you're going to have an eyeful because it explains right there after they shot it down. By the way, it says in the report, a Thor 2 single face laser cannon, which is considered by science. Oh, that's just that's uh, somebody made that up. No, they didn't. It's in the South African Air Force report. So uh, uh, we got that when I was back in Omaha as a second hand uh, report. They came from the Valhalla Air Force Base in South Africa. It came, there was a Jesuit priest in Switzerland that we know that got it to us. So we had it pretty close to the source. The Kalahari Desert Crash. And you will find out what the aliens look like in the craft and a lot of interesting reading there. So, but what if there's an opening from the inside or a cavern inside the earth and some of these ships might be coming from there. I think, I think anything's possible. Um, you know, we know very little about what's going on in the depths of the oceans, yeah. which cover a large portion of this planet. And, you know, if we start to try to break the crust and go even further inner earth, um, it certainly opens up a huge conversation. And, you know, again, all possibility exists always. And, you know, until we get in there and say there's nothing in there, then it's, it's like Schrodinger's cat, but of inner earth, you know? Yeah. There's either people in there or there isn't. We don't know until we open the box. Well, according to the documents coming out of uh, Germany or the Nazis over there, they uh, say, yeah, we found an opening. So, mm -hmm. And then uh, Admiral Byrd talks about something like that. And there's uh, astral travelers that says, yes, we've been there and we've come back. And I'm one of them. So I, uh, I know this could be a source of flying disks coming all over the planet, or one source of that. I know we have the radar images from them coming from space too, so we know they're here. Yeah, I think I think at the very least there's going to be activity um, transitioning from you know on on surface at least you know surface yeah. activities of this planet versus off-planet activities. I believe something's going on at the southern pole of this planet um, that there's, um, how do I, it's um, 90 degrees is the angle of transformation. We can see this in all of nature around us. So it's at that pole that things basically want to, they want to come in and then basically transition 90 degrees to match the surface of the planet. And something is, something's happening there. That's like where yeah. the approved spot is to make this 90 degree angle mm -hmm. of transformation. It means something, but we don't we don't know yet. Yeah. What can we do in order to help speed up the process of transparency in government in regard to the extraterrestrial presence? And uh, I'm still calling them UFOs. I'm not gonna change that. Fair enough, great, great question. And, and your answer actually um, is perfect because they're trying to 
change the words on stuff, right? Like you just said, you know, it's, it used to be UFO. Now they're trying to do UAP because they're trying to control the narrative. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. So this, when you say, you know, what can people do? And my answer is to become more discerning and challenging. What I'm learning, being an actual whistleblower, going through the front lines of the problem of trying to disseminate this information, what I'm learning is that there's a sea of liars and con men and profiteers, charlatans, and snake oil salesmen in the disclosure industry. That the vast majority of what we the people are observing in what is we're being told is the non-mass media, which we're being suggested is not overrun with corporate interests like the regular mass media, and we're supposed to believe that those corporate interests that could afford billions of dollars on the other side that no longer have to spend billions of dollars on the other side because nobody's watching, everybody thinks that they're not invested in this side of it. Oh. They're getting they're getting everybody for a lot cheaper <laughs> now. All the world is a stage, like Shakespeare said. Yeah, and the game is still being played, but most of the people haven't realized that the people that are really good at the game just switch players in the middle of the game. Yeah, they have the power to do that. We don't. Well, when they. Uh... I don't think they control the whole narrative anymore, but they control a big part of it because I think they can work our part of the narrative from the backside through people that is all for opening up the UFO issue, let the information out. Yeah, right. There's exactly. no no way the government is going to give their last secrets out. It will not happen. And yet, the, and yet um, in the disclosure circles, you know, the non-mainstream media, the truth movement, we have all of these people um, with bated breath watching folks like Grush and the government testimonial to what's going on. Yeah. They still, they're still looking there for the answer. They're still touting this stuff as the truth of the conversation when it's anything but yeah yeah we listen uh, we gotta look behind the front of what we hear Mm -hmm. and a lot of times too it's it's the people look at the people Uh, not necessarily there's an old saying you know don't don't care about what they say look at what they do where they invest their money and uh, what they have done in the past to promote certain things. That, there is clues back there about who the character of the person is. And yeah, I mean, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of these folks in the circles are former FBI agents or former CIA agents, yeah. former NSA agents, you know, former uh, counterintelligence operations. This is what they all did for the government. And they're all like, oh, I don't do that anymore. I'm retired. Oh, okay. So now the correct terminology for the business relationship that you're in with the government is called a consultant. 
but they don't tell the, the world that, that they just literally, literally retired out of the job that they had for the government doing the exact same thing. But now they get the retirement check. Now they can operate as an independent contractor for the same exact position. They could be a consultant and they can still be getting paid to be running a counterintelligence operation, yeah. which seems to be rampant in the disclosure community. There is no such thing as a retired if, uh, CIA agent. Right, but the, yet the, all these conversations, you know, the general public doesn't know that most of these people used to wear the hat of one of the factions that yeah. they're now criticizing all of the other. It's, it's business as usual. Yeah. These guys are just still throwing money at each other. Now they're just, now they're just fighting with the retired guy from their spiritual core. Yeah. Oh man, it's getting deep. And uh, but the horses are out of the barn. Where are they going? Do you think? What is their? What is the government's? There's always a plan. So where is the government's plan leading us in the disclosure of all of this? Or have they a plan at all? Well, yes, just... the, government, the government's plan is leading the people away from the truth in as so far as they want the public to believe that they're just looking into the existence of this technology, that they're just starting to gather intelligence on it. What they don't want them to know is that they've been doing this for a long time, that they've already reverse engineered the technology that they're already maximizing the benefit of the possession of these technologies unbeknownst to the general population. So they don't want to admit the usage. So they're lying when they put up these puppets that say things like, oh, um, I'm with the government and I saw a UFO thingy and boy, it did crazy stuff that Nothing we have can do anything like that. Nothing our enemies have can do anything like that. That's, that's the smokescreen. That's the lie, is they're trying to convince the world that nobody possesses these technologies. Yeah, so it has to be alien. Yes. They don't, they're basically they're tr they're refusing to admit that we already possess these technologies, which is slowing down the access to the general population having access to them right off the bat. It's just, it, again, it's just another denial. It's another slap in the face of the haves versus the have nots. We have this technology, you do not. Yeah. And then we have NASA getting in the middle of it. We might as well stay on this one because I just read an article that was mm -hmm. uh, about NASA now have discovered, uh, I think they said 57 huge objects entering the solar system. Oh, uh, okay. Next thing they're going to say is, oh, these are alien ships. We better mm -hmm. be scared. Or they could bring, they could bring one in, um, to force an impact, they can use a directed energy weapons system to create the environment that looks like a meteor impact, call it a meteor impact, blame it as a natural occurring event, when in reality, again, this is what directed energy weapons can do.
there's already people talking about situations like this and, and plans for institutions to do things like this. Yeah. You know, 9-11 was an inside job. You think, you know, meteorite 2025 can't be manufactured? Yeah. Yeah, it's getting deep when you get into those things. I, uh, I'm already starting to worry about YouTube. <laughs> so, but uh, I think people are waking up in hordes. It will get to a point when they're going to, people are stand up and say, look here, government agencies, or they're going to go at people within the government agencies as we've had enough of the lies. We want to see the papers. Oh, they need to, they need to get way above government agencies. Government agencies are low level um, yeah. wardens for the general masses of the population. Um, the threat to humanity is coming from way above the uh, government agencies. They're, they're pawns, less than pawns in what's really going on on this planet. Yeah, they're but there's, there's, yeah, the people need to wake up to that level of understanding because we certainly cannot keep our intellect and conversations and dialogues around the, um, the incapacities of Democrats and Republicans. There's more going on. That, that's a con job in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, that uh, people will get to a point. I don't think we're there yet, but they will get to a point somewhat similar to what I discovered when I visited Russia back in the, I think, 1971. There was a saying back there that they said, nothing has been confirmed until the government has denied it. <laughs> and, That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Now we flip that one. That's, oh. that's here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Back, yeah. Back then, well, probably not that way, but now we have what they had in Russia. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right, Augie. That's just pathetic. Yeah. So, oh. so yeah. They. So basically, you know, there was the weekend that Dr. Greer had his event in um, in June this past summer. Mm -hmm. And it was immediately on the heels of that that all of a sudden they rolled out this whole this Grush propaganda scheme, which yeah. was to basically go against what we just said. We were trying to present to the world that the governments of the world, other factions of the world, have this technology. Yeah. Yeah, they're denying that because that does not serve their agenda. Correct. But yeah, they, they want to withhold this technology from the masses because people fail to realize that as long as we don't know that this stuff exists, it's not regulated. They can do whatever they want with it. And uh, have you looked into who's paying for it? All these programs in Antarctica and is it private money behind it, or is it uh, government deep projects? Well, here's, here's, here's a really interesting thing that came out recently. Everybody needs to pay attention to a 
a guy goes by the name of Dark Journalist, and he just unloaded some stuff about, <laughs> excuse me, connections to um, JFK and the Antarctic Project. So one of the things that people don't realize is that the um, the missions that Admiral Byrd went down, the expeditions that Admiral Byrd went down, were funded by a relative of his. And that relative, coincidentally, owned the books depository building that Kennedy was shot from. Oh. Which is just more than a coincidence. Additionally, the Byrd expeditions were helped in a big part by a gentleman that is very well hidden in history. His name is Lloyd Berkner. And he went down for Byrd's expeditions as part of the crew. He was a radio man of, of great ability. When he came back from Byrd's expeditions and just right after World War II, this guy Lloyd Berkner initiated what we now refer to as IGY, International Geophysical Year. And, you know, this is what now a lot of these nation states operate their science under, the, the collective of IGY. And Lloyd Berkner started this IGY situation at the time for the express purpose of starting to pay attention to what was coming and going from the planet. That was a conversation that was a bit ahead of its time, but he was starting it as a former member of the expedition to Antarctica. This is where his thoughts were at, and he was getting funding. And they just rapidly changed what they were discussing it to before. Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh... When it comes to what's going on in Antarctica, I have seen a video from, it uh, was taken by one of the people on uh, Admiral Byrd's crew of one of the ships where they were flying discs, flying around the ships and shooting at them. There's a short video. I saw it actually on YouTube. And I've been searching for it since, and I don't see it anymore. But there is a video out there. It's not very clear, but you can see the flying discs zipping by the ships. And you can see lightning coming from them. So there is a laser or particle beam weapons that is coming from the flying disc hitting the ships. Because, you know, he had a couple of ships that sank. Yeah, so, um, yeah, a lot of folks don't realize everything that went on down there. And Berkner certainly would be somebody who would have been privy to um, the comings and goings of Antarctica and the conversations around it. And here's uh, more insult to injury and more connections. This was fantastic work by dark journalists for figuring yeah. it out. But Berkner has been somebody on my radar that I've been trying to express to the world was like the missing link of you know, whatever people want to call the secret space program, the breakaway civilization. Something to do with what's going on and off this planet for sure. But yeah. with that being said, um, back to um, the Bird family owning the book suppository that the supposed round was fired from into Kennedy. 
Now, whether that happened or not remains to be debated, the whole bullet magic bullet stuff, right? But what can't be denied is that it was a Bird family member that owned that building. And what can't be denied is that JFK was going to meet someone that day that he got shot. They were going to be speaking to the world publicly. He had a speech prepared, a speech that's never been released. Every other presidential speech gets released to the public. This one was not. And on that day, John F. Kennedy was going to a podium with a microphone to speak with none other than Lloyd Berkner to discuss what's really going on in the world that people were not privy to. So that was supposed to happen that day. That day, he was supposed to go meet Lloyd Berkner and give information that was going to change the way all the nations of the world functioned and looked at life. That that was the the wow. precursor type statement. But that speech has never been released. They never got their their day in the light, so to say. And then Berkner went over to a very important seat over at Brookhaven National Labs on Long Island, which is basically part of the Operation Paperclip military industrial complex situation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, Brookhaven National mm-hmm. Labs is more or less the, the scientific arm of the CIA. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Berkner had a job there. His seat basically, he operated in an office that was in charge of figuring out how to disseminate the information being discovered at Brookhaven National Labs out into academia. Well, we get deep when you get into this and gosh, I see we are out of time, but uh, I suggest highly for people to research on your own, get out there on the internet and uh, try to stay away from Google. They do censor a lot of stuff. There are other platforms that is better at research. So uh, do your own research and uh, find your own truth. And uh, that's what you're good at, uh, Eric. You've been you've been a digger for a long time. <laughs> I'm getting better and better every day because there yeah. are dots to, to connect for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for being with us.